right. Welcome back to another episode of Ganger Retain. I am here on a Wednesday in June. It is pouring down rain. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, it's pouring down rain here. So uh, I actually like when that happens during the summer because now I don't feel as bad not being outside and instead of my office. So um, with us today, I've got Cassie Vaughn and Ruchita Day from Monday.com. And I I don't know if I like strong armed you or what, but I, I went to LinkedIn and I was like, I need to figure out who is running customer success over at Monday. I saw uh, your awesome stats recently, just in the the recent earnings call, and I was like, "This things are going great." I got to talk to somebody about what they're doing. So, uh, Cassie and Ruchita, thank you for being the people that, to come on here. I don't know if I strong armed you or if you're <laughs> willing participants, but I'm excited about this and appreciate you both being here. Yeah, very willing participants, and thank you, Jeff. I think all speak for us and our team. We were really excited to see your post. Uh, it's rare that someone is able to attribute you know, such great business success specifically to things that the customer success team is doing. So we were thrilled to see it and we're very happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, and what are your, what are your exact roles? I didn't say your titles, but what, what do you do at Monday if you had to describe it in like one sentence? In one sentence, uh, I think I'm really just here to make amazing CSMs operate at their highest potential. Uh, so our, my technical title is a manager of the enterprise customer success team here in the US. And Ruchita is my peer. And we also have another peer, Olivia Kennis in the US. Awesome. All right, Ruchita, you get the first icebreaker. All right. Uh, if you want to say your, if you want to go with, you know, if it, like what you think Cassie's answer is, that's cool. Or if you want to say your own, whichever you want to go. But uh, if you had to describe what's a perfect Sunday morning for you, what does that look like? Or, or Cassie, if you think you know Cassie's answer. I know what Cassie's current Sunday morning is like. I don't know whether it's her perfect one. It's studying for the GMAT, taking a practice test, but maybe after like walking the dog and getting some coffee in and making a list of things to do for the day and like things that she wants to prioritize. I'm not, I'm sure she would much rather be like traveling or like (laughs) waking up on a beautiful balcony and in Greece or something like that. But um, Cassie, how did I do? Nailed it. (laughs) One other thing I do on Sunday mornings is watch the Formula One race. Oh, Oh, all right. I like that. Uh, We'll have to talk some Formula One talk at the end here. Um, Want me to tell you what Rachida would do? Yeah. What's Rachida going to do on Sunday? (laughs) Rachida, hold me accountable here. I think right now Rachida has a lot of homeopathic remedies that she's trying to get over (laughs) her cough, but... Typically, I think you would start with uh, probably a pretty nice breakfast, a warm cup of tea. I know you're really big on designing your apartment right now. So maybe checking out some vintage furniture stores in Brooklyn and yeah, strolling around the neighborhood, getting to know it while you're still fresh. The one thing you missed was yoga, but everything else and Greek pastries pastries in my neighborhood. Absolutely. Greek pastries. What's a Greek uh, breakfast pastry? I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Is there a breakfast pastry? I feel like any pastry could be a breakfast pastry. Yeah. My my favorite is Rogzakia. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but it has cocoa and cinnamon in the center. And it's like a fried dough ball that's dipped in a syrup. Oh my gosh. That sounds good. So good. There is a, uh, there's a Greek church here in Charleston that does a Greek festival every year. Mm -hmm. And it is like one of the fun events it's like at the beginning of may so it's almost like right when right as like the weather starts to turn really good and uh they have 
like everything that you could think of in terms of Greek tradition, especially they do like dancing. They've got uh, Greek food, desserts. They do Greek coffee. They've got Greek beer. Uh, It's so fun. Yeah, Samuza is definitely a part of that. Uh, all right, next icebreaker, and then we'll actually jump into the the real content here. Um, but it, are you, uh, you already mentioned, Richita, you mentioned yoga, um, mm-hmm. but what else, what other things would you say you like to do to stay active? Mm-hmm. I think yoga is my main one. I do like to hike as well. Um, I haven't really gotten an opportunity to do it recently, but yoga, I was a big Zumba fan back when I would go to the gym before the pandemic. Now it's just like a little solo dancing around my apartment when I cook or something. Is Zumba, yeah, uh, is Zumba a mix of like dancing and like stretching and cardio? Like, uh, there's it's definitely cardio. So the guy that I would get lessons from he would pretty much treat it as a dance class and you would just go all out and it would be the same routines every week so you could kind of improve on the routine which is also what I love about approaching a yoga class too if I'm able to do the same routine over and over so yeah I would go into a Zumba class I would just like let out all of my energy from the week and just like be like yeah I'm a boss and I'm here and I like it (laughs) Cassie what about you anything uh you like to do stay active yeah, uh, the viewers won't see it, but I have a Peloton actually sitting behind me. So I am a big Peloton fan. I also love reformer Pilates classes in New York. I used to love yoga, but I'm not as good about staying on top of it. But I have the opposite mindset when I'm working out from Richita. I definitely feel like the opposite of a boss and it's like my most vulnerable <laughs> state. And when I get done, I'm like, wow, there's so much room for improvement here, but it's a good proud feeling that I've accomplished the workout. Um, I do have a Peloton in my office as well. The nice. uh, unfortunate part though, is I started, I started, a, I did a running program to run like a half marathon and I started that two months ago or so. So I have not ridden the Peloton, but I've been doing another activity. So I think it makes up for it. Totally. Um, and then I never gave you my answer on a Sunday morning, but right now, uh, depend- my wife is a uh, physician assistant and she has to work weekends sometimes. So if she's working the weekend, I am on the couch with the dogs for like at least like three to four hours of doing nothing on uh, Sunday morning that. coffee. The best. I'll make like bacon. I'll, I'll make some bacon and eggs and like sit on the couch. If my wife is here, uh, as, at least at least at this stage of our lives, she's up at least by like 5 a.m. because uh, uh, she is... Uh, my wife is currently pregnant. If you're listening to this and she is, uh, getting the baby is up and moving around. And so she's up. And so we are up early on Sundays. If my wife is not working and we're typically then, uh, trying to figure out something to do in the mornings around the house. And then we're out. She loves my life is the active one in, in our, uh, family. She wants to go out and do things, be around people, get outdoors. Uh, so she's the one who's, who's making us go do some activities around. A lot of times it's like a a local brewery or something, brunch around with friends, Mm, something outdoors uh, that we typically want to go do. Mm, That does sound nice. All right. So the reason we're here, uh, let's talk about some customer success. Um, So one, I would say one thing or or something that we've just um, noticed in a lot of our community threads and other discussions that we have is, is um, trying to understand what are the valuable activities that our CSMs can be doing? Uh, You know, I'd say things that come to mind for people are those, Uh, Maybe it's a QBR or uh, maybe there is like a cadence call that you're doing to um, stay on top of certain projects or updates. Um, Maybe there is like a best practice that we're trying to institute. Uh, And so a lot of these things, though, continue to sound like they're 
um, of the mindset of like one-to-one interaction with our customers. And obviously you all have an enterprise angle uh, on this right now, but how, I guess, how do you balance that of like, okay, what are the, what are the things that are actually moving the needle? How do you think about um, kind of measuring what those things are, or at least keeping it top of mind when you think about, Hey, we're engaging with our enterprise customers. um, And these are the most valuable activities that we can be doing with them. Yeah, I can start. I think we we definitely do a lot of the classic things that you mentioned, Jeff. Uh, namely, the, the we call them EBRs internally, the executive business reviews. I think uh, they do still bring a lot of value for us. We love having those conversations with our um, partners on the client side to align on expectations, make sure that they're aware of where they can be maximizing their potential and their ROI on the platform. We have taken a really deep focus on customizing the data within those EBRs over the last two years, namely around ROI. ROI for us, the the way that we find most of our clients like to measure ROI is through time savings. So we can attribute time savings to a lot of key usage traits or key features that clients are using on the platform. Uh, But I think what we found more recently is once you finalize an EBR, usually the last few slides of the last few minutes of the conversation is aligning on any action items that have come out of the conversation. And those action items are usually great. Like they're usually very high level, good strategic meaty topics, but they can't be done by the CSM alone. They require a level of collaboration and partnership and accountability on the client side as well to achieve maximum results. And that wasn't always there. So the piece that was missing was really change management and driving a a mindset of partnership and self-sufficiency where we are clear about this is what we can own and what we can help you with, but we're also enabling them to think like CSMs themselves, not only in the sense of being experts on the platform, but in the sense of thinking big picture about what stickiness means and why this product is driving value for them and what behaviors they need to, to drive in their teams or in their direct reports in order to get those maximal outputs. Um, so yeah, I think most of the focus of some of the the new initiatives and the new uh, touch points that we have with our clients is focused on contributing to that change management and starting to foster some of that mindset with our clients. Yeah. I think the change management goes under talked about a bit, right? Like at any case you're buying a tool, there's a level of change management that um, I think sometimes companies get lost in this idea of like, I need to train you on my platform. I need you to teach, I need to teach you all the best practices in the tool itself. Um, and something that I've always talked about is we always have to remember that like, depending on what tool you are, right. Your customer is spending, we'll call it like 30% of their time in your tool. Maybe, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, but like we start thinking about that. Well, they have like a 70% of their job. It's other parts. How do you, how do you prepare them and help them in those other parts? Right. How do you, like you said, right. Hey, they're only in our tool for this much time. How do I make sure that they can bridge the gap of like, what they're doing in our tool to like what their the rest of their work looks like, or how do we help them go out into the organization and be successful at championing this initiative? Like what are slides I can help them put together? Things that are just live outside of your product um, sometimes go uh, unnoticed or untalked about a bit because I, but I think that's the part that customers want the most, right? Like, Hey, I can go listen. I can go watch your Academy and figure out how to do a best practice. Um, but how do I go convince, you know, my entire marketing team to adopt Monday, right? That's, that's a very different motion and, and conversation that we're having. Um, so I appreciate that you said that and, and brought that up because I think that is something that, and also um, the point that you mentioned, you know, elevating it to an executive business review, it's a slight name change, right? But it, it matters. And then the other piece is um, ending that call with a, here's what we can do. Here's where we need your help and where we're going to hold you accountable. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious, Richita, from your side, have you noticed um, your CSMs? Are there certain ways that they're getting to that kind of executive part at the end? Is there a way that they're trying to bring that up and, and drive home? Hey, this is a 
this is more of a partnership, not a vendor relationship, I think is like the way I would, I would put that. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say first and foremost, it should not occur to them at the end of the call that this is something that's a relationship between two people who are working together. It's actually how we recommend starting the conversation as at the end of the call, this is the objective that we want to get out of it. And the pieces of the business review leading up to that point where we showcase the data are the points that we use in order to shape our thinking of how we can get there. So I think that uh, that definitely helps to frame it to be an action-oriented conversation. But I think another piece that uh, you both talked about, which is the collateral that exists outside of meetings like this, is that the EBR shouldn't just be something that's a conversation between the two people on the phone. It should be something that the client feels represents what they do, that they may, might feel comfortable even sharing with their boss or circulating internally in order to help uh, showcase what you've done together so far. So that's one piece of it that uh, I think customizing the data allows them to do that a lot better than us just showcasing it from the Monday side. Uh, the other side of it is what I think Cassie can speak to a little bit more is a continuing conversation. So it shouldn't just be that this is our one opportunity to talk about all of that has been done, all the trends that we're seeing and the next steps. It should be about planning the success moving forward, which is something that we have also encouraged specifically within our segment through success planning. So Cassie, if you want to speak a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So we recently, or I should say our boss recently did a survey um, across some of the CSMs in the organization and, and asked them what is driving success with our accounts that are moving the needle. And every single answer had a reference to the champions that we identify within the accounts. The way that Monday works, we could have hundreds, if not thousands of users using the product. Oh so yeah. it really isn't, we're not able scalably to touch every single user at our clients. And we really heavily rely on the partnership and the the accountability, like I said at the beginning, the, the joint effort of our champions and following those EBRs, typically the champions are on the EBR, but they're usually also the participants in our success planning conversations that we've started to outline a little bit more of. Fortunately, Monday as a platform is a platform that we can create success plans on. So it's a, it really serves a two-way purpose when it gets them into the product to use Monday as a success planning tool. But two, it allows us to think about, we also do internal account planning to think about uh, what, you know, what steps we want to take quarter over quarter with our highest priority accounts. Success planning is a little bit different where we should actually ask the client what their objectives and their goals are as an organization yep. and put it into their terms. So rather than us saying, we want to drive up monthly active users by X, they should say something like, you know, we want to cut down the amount of time it takes to create marketing collateral by 20%. And then we can backtrack to figure out where are the bottlenecks in your process? How can Monday help automate and make that process more efficient and plug it in that way? And that should naturally then have a benefit to our metrics as well by bringing more people onto the platform to operate in this new efficient system. So the success planning piece, I think, has really helped us bridge the gap to get the champions really bought into key ways that they can use their own language and their own objectives to help drive the success of our platform within their organization and get the most value out of it. But uh, it's also something that I think requires a lot of that upfront trust and rapport and relationship building with the client and being able to ask the right discovery questions to uncover what those true objectives are, not just what the first answer is when you ask a client. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the difference that you just outlined right there too, right? Between an account plan and a success plan is something that sometimes people miss in that nuance as well, right? The A lot of times it's our prerogative to say, um, hey, we need to go do X, Y, and Z with the customer when the customer might, might not want to do those things right now, or it's not opportune and it's not even in their language, right? And so thinking about what is it that they want to achieve? How do we help them get there? And then how do we map that back into, okay, what does that mean for our account planning? What does that mean for our planning or uh, projection purposes or thinking about forecasting or whatever it might be? Uh, like all those things can come back and play a role. Um, definitely. The other thing that um, comes to mind to oftentimes I would say when you talk to customer success leaders, the, uh, the focus sometimes moves away or it's kind of like, Hey, we kind of let people do their own thing, right? Hey, it's kind of like your, Hey, you can kind of do your own QBR, but like here, stay within a couple of these slides and here. And I think like you, everyone's trying to find that balance of like letting somebody be themselves and feel like they, you know, Hey, a CSM has got some level of control. They want to do it in their own way. Like you got to kind of give them some of that flexibility, but I think where people miss is that they then it's kind of gone off the rails. It's gone a little too far in that direction. And then you start missing the valuable parts. And the the thing that you said that kind of triggered this for uh, me, Rachita, was, you know, um, a lot of times you, the, you go into a QBR and they're presenting data that's in the past and it's so much time heavily spent on that. It's almost like you spend three fourths of the time on that. And you're like, by the end of the meeting, you're like, oh, okay, let's rush through the next action items. And it's like, wait a minute, shouldn't this be in reverse? Like, shouldn't we cover the data? It's important, but like, shouldn't we say, okay, here are some of the major trends that we see. And that takes up a fourth of the time and three fourths of the time we're talking about the future. We're talking about, okay, what is this data telling us on how we, how we best go forward and how does that align to our future initiatives? And so uh, I think that was another thing that Richie, you just called out that just kind of triggered in my mind too, which is like, yes, it's great to look at the past and see the data, but by and large, like if we are a strategic partner of our cup of our customer, they should be giving us information that we are then um, trying to synthesize and say, okay, based on what you're telling us about the next two quarters, like, here's what we're thinking about, or based on what you're saying, you know, for the next year, here's what, here's how that kind of plays into our world. And let's align these things before we get off the call today. Um, And then we can go, you know, figure out how this fits into a success plan or whatever it might be afterwards. But I think, again, it's kind of a subtle nuance, but I think these are like those small nuances or changes that you're starting to see where companies are who are doing it right or, and, and seeing the success from these types of activities are doing it in that way versus the kind of the old way uh, of doing QBRs as well. All right. The uh, Actually, before we jump off that too, how do you, is it uh, at the enterprise level for you all, is there um, a quota of like QBRs or EBRs, excuse me, that people have to hit in a quarter? Is it um, kind of more nuanced depending on, you know, which customers, like, how do you all think about just, uh, if I was, if I was one of your enterprise CSMs, first of all, I'd be really bad at following process. So you'd be, you'd be on top of me all the time. But second, um, uh, what's the, how do you all think about just measuring that or thinking about the, the number of those that are happening a quarter or how, how, you know, how a CSM might be staging those so that it doesn't kind of all fall in one quarter versus another. So, Cassie, I'll let you speak to this as well, but I'll say in my time at Monday, the way that we've thought about it has totally changed. And I think the way that it's changed has been dependent on us getting more resources and more people buying into the value that business reviews have. So when I first started at Monday, we knew that there could be value. There wasn't a lot of resources that we could use to pull data. So the effort to put one together was really challenging and could take you maybe more than 48 hours in total. And I'm talking work hours (laughs) to actually put together. 
One of the initiatives that Cassie uh, helped work on when she first joined the company was to make the review decks more streamlined so that somebody had everything that they needed in one place in order to put a deck together. And that allowed us to put a goal in place for the quarter of a certain amount of business reviews to do. Like, let's say... uh, I don't know if four to five is lowballing it for a CSM, but just identifying which accounts it would be advantageous for and to do that. And now I think we have more of a softer target when it comes to business reviews, because now people are aware of when it's advantageous to do it and when seems like a good opportunity for the client to do it, as yeah. opposed to maybe like what we were talking about before, forcing it onto the client if maybe the client does not want it or have yeah. time for it that quarter. That's a, I always, yeah, I always used to joke, uh, a couple of years ago when we were doing consulting business, people would ask us, oh, like when, you know, we do QBRs, like, uh, or we, we do an EBR or something like, you know, once a quarter for every customer. And it's like, as a customer, I feel a lot of pressure there. Like you're, yeah. you're coming on my calendar and like, you need my time once a quarter in order for this product to work. Like, isn't that wrong? Like, shouldn't we, you know, it's like, Hey, how do we think about this a little differently? Um, uh, so I, I appreciate saying that, um, how do you, okay. So I think segmentation is a big part that comes up in our community a lot, you know, um, people trying to figure out how to segment customers for certain engagement strategies, or maybe there are certain segments where there's a great upsell cross sell potential. Um, and I would say too, it's, you know, I think when, when there is talk about this, or we've had certain office hours, um, sometimes it feels like people think of this as a static exercise that kind of lives like once a year, Hey, we did our segmentation. It's set in stone for a while. Um, how do you all think about approaching that, uh, you know, especially within maybe the enterprise segment? Like, is there a certain way that you're, is it set in stone for a period of time or are there deeper analysis that you're doing on sub segments? Like, how do you just think about kind of using segmentation to drive maybe analysis or engagement models? Do you mind if I clarify something just for my understanding first on the question? Say that again. I'm sorry. Do you mind if I clarify something? Yeah, yeah. With oh, you? yeah go for it. So when you're talking about segmentation right now, are you talking about segmentation according to size or maybe a trait associated with the account? Or are you talking about maybe portfolio segmentation for a CSM in terms of how they prioritize? So I think it could be, I mean, we could go in either direction, but I think it's, it's, um, I mean, a little bit of both. I mean, I think a lot of times, you know, when companies are trying to organize their segments, they're thinking about, uh, maybe hey, how much ARR they're spending today, maybe what the revenue potential is or its employee size, right? It's some of those markers that um, would indicate. And then I think it would be fun to talk through to how you all think about helping your teams think about, okay, now within your portfolio, how do we prioritize the right activities and the right accounts at the right time? So um, maybe the first one, and then we can jump into, and then we can like dive deeper into the second one. Yeah. So we have explored segmentation, I think, in any possible direction. Uh, When I first started at Monday, which was a few years after Ruchita, so Ruchita has even thought in its deeper infancy, but uh, there were really only, there was really only one segmentation, which was mid-market and enterprise. And we were just segmenting off a new group of, at the time, what we called our onboarding success managers. So we were segmenting not only by company size, but we were starting to specialize the roles a little bit, recognizing that owning different parts of the life cycle could also drive efficiency and focus on some of the key actions that we take with our clients. 
Since then, um, we've continued to segment even further. So most recently, and you know, Monday, uh, we know ourselves internally to be a super dynamic and very change forward company. So it's not necessarily something that we do and set in stone at the beginning of the year. And this is a perfect example of it. There was uh, there were recent conversations at the leadership level of how do we continue to further drive efficiency and then also focus on this new quickly emerging segment of customers that are growing very organically, which is our largest most strategic customers. So some of those customers that you might've seen on the business results from our recent earnings call, but also even larger than that. So we're talking about customers who have thousands of users, for example, the way that we were noticing. So how we traditionally segmented the books, like I said, in the high touch segment where we have our CSMs was mid-market and enterprise. And what we were starting to notice is the enterprise books in particular were having more and more of these customers pop up that had thousands of users. And the way that our CSMs had to treat those customers was very different from the way that they treated the rest of their book. They were spending a disproportionate amount of time with one or two accounts in their book when maybe they had 20 others to to talk to. Um, And also the plays and the different strategies and the different levels of conversation that they were having with these customers needed to look different. And Rachida was actually one of the first that we trusted these accounts with. And we started to notice, you know, the way that Rachida works with her customers is amazing. She's driving a lot of really good success and growth and trust and partnership with these huge accounts, but we can't give every large account to Rachida. She has a full book. So our first hypothesis on this topic was to continue segmenting the way that we did, but bring on a second CSM to support with larger accounts. So two enterprise CSMs would split a large account. They would divide and conquer with one being the primary CSM, the other being the secondary CSM. And they could determine on their own autonomous basis what they wanted that relationship to look like. There were not really a set of standards. Over time, it worked and it was great, but we recognized that it was only giving the clients a piece of what they wanted for, which was access to CSMs. It yeah. wasn't giving them a deeper level of familiarity on our side. It wasn't giving them you know, someone who could set uh, a more proactive strategy for the account because everything was divided. So... And it also internally wasn't scalable for us to always put two CSMs on one account. So we, we really started to look and say, if what our clients want is a CSM who can be a business consultant, who is a trusted, you know, someone that they trust to go to when they have a business challenge, they want some of those consultations. They want things outside of just a workflow optimization or a product training. They really want someone to come in and proactively tell them, Hey, you know, this is a problem that you're telling me you have. You can actually resolve that pain using Monday and we'll put a strategy in place on how, and beyond that, I'll train you on how to make sure that this is something that your teams uh, find value in. And you can be the one who's driving that change internally. It doesn't always have to be something you rely on me for. So more recently in the enterprise segment, we have broken out the strategic segment of CSMs, which is very much in its infancy. We're calling it a pilot today, but it's a group of CSMs who are managing a much smaller book from a volume of accounts perspectives. So they might only have four to five accounts right now, but the number of users and the amount of ARR that they're managing is much higher. So from a business efficiency perspective as well, the bandwidth that we are leveraging uh, with our CSMs is being leveraged much smarter. We're able to have them carry a larger book size, but do it in a way where they're not context switching as much. How do I treat a large account versus a standard enterprise account? Can I continue to create habits and plays that will apply uh, in more in a more relevant way to all of my book of business, as opposed to just always having to think, you know, bounce between two different sets of account needs. So uh, 
that has really helped us drive not only efficiency internally with uh, leveraging CSMs and making sure that they're bringing the most value to the company, but also we've gotten great results so far and, and great uh, call-outs from our clients in terms of feeling that connection to the CSM and feeling like there's a true consultancy there. And then the other piece of that, which I'll let Richie speak to, is actually identifying that the other place that clients want that sense of familiarity and consistency in their service is from our support team. And the need for a CSM to be that consultant relies on the fact that the support team is there to back them up on the technical aspects and the product-focused uh, piece of the partnership. So that's what Ruchita has been developing for the strategic accounts. And I could go into I could go yeah, into yeah. that a little bit more if it's helpful. But another yeah. thing that I wanted to mention that enabled this kind of pivot for our team is the fact that even before this, I think a year prior, we uh, segmented into the scale team as well. Uh, Dan Ennis is a good friend of GGR and oh, yeah. he works with an amazing person named Amy Jean Gregorio. So uh, there was a need there to uh, essentially have some accounts that are not super active and don't really need as high of a touch as maybe our larger, more strategic accounts to still have a touch point with a CSM that could monitor their growth. So also the ability to even have that team or even the way that our larger team was shifting before that enabled us to make a step like this and to even consider something like this. So wanted to just flag that before moving on. Yeah, that's a big um, call out to you. And I think one of the things that we've noticed for that, especially that scale segment, right, is the more that you can package those types of things around. So think about what's the outcome that let's just call it like a, a smaller business might be trying to achieve, right? Can we can we give them a couple of uh, almost like presets and then package certain things around there that says, hey, if you're trying to go drive, let's just say it's on the Monday platform, right? You're a small business. You're trying to go drive time efficiency. Here are the three things that you should be doing. And here's where you can go learn about those. Or here's the three things that you could enable. Um, and every business might be different, right? But if you can package those things up in a way, um, that's where we've seen a lot of companies be successful in that small segment where you need to have kind of a one-to-many approach, uh, like you were mentioning. And then I think the the point that you made too, right, is um, at the high end, the the also the need, I, I tend to find too, the need for having one person to go to ends up being a very good thing. Like I know it's a lot of times like people want to avoid that, right? Hey, it's, it's kind of like a, on our side, like on the, uh, on the vendor side, it's, you know, a single relationship, but it is so impactful for somebody at the organization to say, I know who I need to go to for something mm-hmm. and for something to get done. There's a, there's like a uh, convenience factor in that. And there's also like this sense of like calm that they have where it's like, okay, I at least know I can go get one, like my straight answer. Like you said, if I have the right relationship, I can go get the straight answer from Jeff. Um, and I can figure out like what's really going on. Um, I can't tell you how many times, like as a customer myself and in other like businesses that I've worked in, right. Where it's like, Hey, um, Cassie, don't worry. You've got Jeff. You also have uh, Steph over here. Uh, don't forget about John, your implementation manager. Oh yeah. We've got support. Uh, you can also, you can, you can chat support. You can call support. You can go to support at hirelogic.com or whatever. You know, it's like, Oh, there's like eight ways. And Cassie then is like, I don't really know what to do right now. Um, and so I would all imagine again for the larger customers, right. When you think about, Hey, they've got a single relationship that, um, we don't want them. To, we don't want that single relationship to get pulled into uh, work that's like outside of their core work. But mm-hmm. if they can help facilitate some of that, if they can help be kind of the, the liaison, then that's probably something that is a good relationship driver for the other side of the business. So, um, Ruchita, tell us a little bit about the support side of this. Yeah, uh, sure thing. So uh, it's interesting that you mentioned this dynamic, but 
between all of the different personas that you have access to. And that's also a reason why I think historically uh, we weren't able to meet our highest potential as enterprise CSMs because there were a lot of things that we were juggling at once that were not necessarily all in scope. But essentially in conversation, conversations with uh, larger accounts who do like that central point of contact, asking them to leverage other channels. The reason that they would often bring up is you have the context of everything that's been going on. You know my account really well. Why would I go to another channel where I may not get that same level of experience that I do here? So it became very apparent to us that not only are clients looking for somebody where they have that same level of trust that you could get to that, uh, you could get to the depth of the issue right away, similar to the way a CSM might be able to, uh, but they also needed to feel like it was a similar one-to-one kind of relationships where they would be able to identify the people communicating with them in a similar way to the CSM. So uh, this is something I'll caveat, don't get too excited if any of our uh, clients are listening to GDR. Uh, This is something that we're piloting as a smaller segment of support that's dedicated specifically to the strategic client book. And rather than being one-to-one, it is a smaller group, but we train them to all have the same context about the accounts uh, so that when people are writing in, they know uh, what to do for a specific account. And they're also trained on white glove service. And that also allows our CSMs to have that trust to kind of uh, give the responsibility to somebody else aside from them who they know can have the context. Yeah. We, so we recently rolled out something that sounds similar. We, so we have services that we sell um, to our customers and think of services as, you know, you bought a community platform from from us. We're going to stack services on top that help you run that community that help you think strategically about how to do it well. Um, And so then one thing that we kept finding our customers talking about was this idea of support and getting a little bit more of that premium support white glove type service. And so we actually added that as an offering as a part of those packages last year. And now you've actually got this great relationship internally where you have a CSM, a a premier support person or premier support rep, and then you've got a strategic services kind of analyst. And so you've got this trifecta. And uh, I think what you were getting to Richita, our customers love that because now they have, um, somebody who can know their instance, know their account, knows the setup, knows some of the technical details that's like attached to their account that can help sift through some of those details um, and kind of be that liaison. And now you've also got this trifecta of like a CSM who's trying to make sure that they're getting some of the, the tangible value. You've got the services who's, you know, making sure that the programs are actually being executed and that they're helping the customer step through that and then the technical side. And so we've seen some good stuff um, in that as well. Um, so I'm curious to see how that that turns out for you all too. Actually, Jeff, I think that's also a really interesting point about the, to your point, the complexity of services that could be offered or the amount of variations in your service package. I think we're fortunate that we are a very classic product-led growth company. So a lot of our growth stems from the success and the value that people gain from our product, even outside of our services. But our services that we offer continue to expand. And it can be really hard for customers to the point that you had made previously too, to know what's the right service package for me. So that's where the role of the CSM is also becoming much more refined as a business consultant. You know, Knowing the objectives that you're trying to accomplish, we offer professional services. We have you know varying levels of support. We also have partners that you could pull in to work with. We have an apps marketplace. 
it becomes harder to know where you should look to get the answers. And the CSM being that center, I hate to call, I hate to use a sports term, but almost like a quarterback for all the different resources and guiding the, the client to know how do I take the most advantage of what is being offered to me a la carte today is something that I think also lends itself really nicely to that change management, knowing what tools to pull in based off of how the client themselves receives change and adopts to different changes. Yeah, that's a great point. All right. I know we've got a couple of minutes left, so I'm curious. um, This might be the number one most talked about topic in our community is this around uh, kind of platforms. And uh, I think you, you have a you've got this um, sense that we have so much technology, not only in like the customer team, right? But you think about what the organization is buying um, that we're engaging with, you know, the tools like the Slacks of the world or Microsoft 365 or Google Suite, whatever it might be, right? You kind of, you have all these different tools. And so um, I'm curious how you all thought about uh, making a tech stack that your team feels like they know where to go for what they can navigate. You know, they're putting stuff in that, other people can find easily that, you know, so I'm curious if there, um, if there's a way that you all thought about doing that and how you kind of approach this idea of like not making the tech stack too big, but also we want to stay innovative and try new things. And so like, how do you, how do you balance that? How do you give kind of your teams the right pieces um, and kind of the consistency that they need from like a tech stack perspective? So I will say we have our BizOps team to thank for all of the insights that we have access to. Uh, and we have, I I don't want to say like tons of dashboards to hint that there's some disorganization there, but we truly have access to a lot of data that's organized in a really great way to allow us at the high level to understand how book of businesses are impacted month over month, uh, what the average CSM uh, is working with in terms of total ARR that they manage within their books. But we also allow uh, for our teams to be able to identify their own book of businesses where the biggest opportunity is to make an impact. And also at the account level, what specifically is going on with that account health, so to speak, that they could use in order to make momentum there. So really at every single level, we have some visibility into that. And that is across tools like Looker. We leverage Salesforce for that specific account information. And ultimately, we also know that uh, our CSMs want the ability to take action on that information as well. So uh, in addition to maybe making it so that data is centralized in different places based off of the intention, we also think it's important to mobilize our CSMs with the ability to understand what to do with that data once they see it. That's part of the issue, yeah. right? You have access to a lot of data. You're like, amazing. I have no idea what this yeah. tells me. What do I do with this? this what do I do with this? So we actually kind of implement it into the daily routine of the CSM. So on a daily or actually weekly basis, they might come in maybe first they start with Monday because that's where the actioning data is. And they might be able to get more and more specific into the data that lives in Salesforce and Looker. So they see that something with their health scores across their accounts is dipping. They could explore that in Looker and then maybe understand that on the account level in Salesforce. Uh, Beyond that, we have certain exercises that we've alluded to, I think, previously in this conversation, one being account planning. So 
in identifying where to put your attention, and this also goes into portfolio segmentation, you have to first look at the data to see where your attention is needed most. And we're essentially asking our CSMs to make decisions based off of the data, based off of what they identify to be the health of the account, and make plays based off of how they think they can move the data. So that's one thing. We also have a lot of ways that we could identify risk based off of that same data. So being able to proactively look at a dashboard at the beginning of the week, see that something is dipping, see that maybe it's not just seasonality. There is something that's changing with the account. We really empower our CSMs to take a look at that data, understand what they need to pivot about their strategy when they're looking at it, or potentially tell us why it looks like that. Uh, ask more about the client, about what they're experiencing that's resulting in something like that. So I think that's a key thing, that enablement that allows our CSMs to operate well with the data that they're given. Yeah, that's the, um, I love the point you brought up about actioning because that's the, the, uh, I don't know. You heard the wave of like big data, right? It's like, we should capture everything. We should be measuring stuff over the last number of years. Uh, and now you're starting to see almost like the downside of that, which is like, okay, I've got all this stuff, but like, what do I do with it? And so like keeping it front of mind, like, Hey, we're capturing this for this reason. Here's, here's the way that you can kind of interpret it or look at it. And here's the way that um, here's some of the plays that you might run off of this, you know, data set um, I think is a, a huge part that we've seen too. The, um, and the other, the other piece that, uh, I think I heard in here, right, is like you're using your own tool, which is great too, because now they're learning about the tool while they're also um, engaging with their customers. Like there's like an inherent benefit there, but also like the simplicity of like what you talked about, right? Like we're not giving them um, like 17 places to go look for certain things. Like it's the the more that like where you get speed and efficiency of uh, on the customer success side as well is in the simplicity of like, can we take something that is complex, make it very simple for our CSM team to go action off of and then give them minimal places to go look um, and, you know, try and action off of like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've looked into um, like customer success orgs that are like, yeah, we've got, you know, every tool. And I don't know why, like our CSMs won't go input, you know, data in X, Y, and Z. And it's like, uh, you know, they're just trying to get through their day of, they don't even know which tool to use. So uh, I think the simplicity and like small number of tools goes a long way too. Uh, all right. Last question for you both. What is one piece of actionable advice that you'd give to that customer success leader out there who's managing an, an enterprise customer success team? Is there anything that comes to mind where you're just like, hey, this is something that you could go look into tomorrow, you could go do, here's something that you know you thought of uh, recently or some, some project you worked on, but what's something that you feel like is an actionable takeaway? Cassie, we'll start with you. That's a good question. Um... You know, I think the more time I spend in customer success at different organizations, the more I realize that it truly looks so different. Uh, but I, one thing that I can tell you I'm looking at for tomorrow that I think can resonate with a lot of other customer success leaders is starting to measure the value of driving maturity over just driving health within an account. So how do we drive the holistic relationship forward? How do we measure things, not only like health and engagement, but also like how many, how multi-threaded we are, how many different relationships we have at what different levels, uh, you know, how are we plugged into their tech stack? How integrated are we with other systems? Um, you know, looking at some of the different change drivers, are different teams more change resistant? Do we have the tools and communication channels set up internally at that account to bring those laggards, you know, up to the front and be more on the bleeding edge of the next round of adoption that we want to, an engagement that we want to roll out with the account. So starting to measure 
maturity as uh, more of a guiding factor for CSMs and letting that determine where they should focus their time on both account plans and success plans with their clients, I think is something that uh, we're further exploring right now. But again, like I said, maturity could look different at every uh, company. So that's something that if you're going to do any future podcasts, Jeff, I would love to hear from other leaders on that topic too. Uh, I love that point. And uh, if Jay was here with us, he would um, he would talk about that quite a bit too. There's, uh, I'll go try and find the slide, but I think it was Jeffrey Moore um, who is big in the SaaS world. He has this maturity model of customer success teams that um, is very simple, but it's like, oh man, if we could do this, you know, for your customers in like a very simple model, like it, it changes the conversation from like, hey, we're just kind of, you know, here's the ROI or moving from X to, and it's like, oh, actually, no, we're helping you and your organization mature as you go. I mean, it's a great, great one. Uh, I think it's going, all right, Rachida, what do you got? I mean, how can I top that? In? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can give a stab at it, though I 100% wholeheartedly agree with what Cassie mentioned. Um, I think that it's really important to trust your CSMs to be able to make that impact and help the organization to drive that kind of growth. But in order to have that kind of trust in them, there need to be the right tools in place in order for them to feel empowered to to own that and own that relationship. And in order for it to feel seamless to the client as well, that this is a partnership, there has to be good visibility into the data and there has to be a framework in place that allows them to act in a really smart way. So as long as the framework includes a way for the CSMs to be able to forecast risks, uh, have a playbook in place so that if they're frozen looking at an account, they can understand what other uh, CSMs have done in the past. That works really well. Um, I think that's a really important baseline to have. I love it. I'm a big frameworks person. So um, I think there's always like ways that you can kind of make information simple in frameworks. So, um, all right, this was awesome. I appreciate you both so much. This has been really fun. Uh, shout out to Dan Ennis, like Richita said earlier, he uh, has been a big GGR member. I also like tagged him shamelessly in this post, like Dan, who do I have to talk to uh, about this? So shout out to Dan. Um, but any, uh, any last, where can people find more of you both or uh, where should we send people if they're interested in uh, in talking with you? Yeah, so uh, we you can find us both on LinkedIn. We would love to connect with all of you. And I'm also very much planning to become much more active in the GGR community. I've been a longtime listener, the first time <laughs> caller on the podcast. Um, Again, this but, is my shameless way. Like once I get you on the podcast, I'm going to start pestering yeah. you like, hey, Cassie, you should go post in the community. Like you should be involved. Yeah, you know, hey, hold me annoyed. accountable. I'm all for it. This is a good way to end the EBR, Jeff. So well done. But um, no, I think the, the biggest thing here is, you know, as a usemonday.com first and foremost, I love the tool. I will never go to any other company and not use money.com again in my career. But the other thing is we're hiring. So if you're a brilliant CSM, we would love to talk to you. Uh, these are just some of the things that we do on the day-to-day. It's a, it's a, the tip of the iceberg of being a CSM at Monday. And it's something that we'll continue to learn and evolve as we bring on more great talent. So for me, that's my biggest takeaway. If you're out there and if you're curious, reach out to us. We're looking for more people. Awesome. Yeah. We'll be sure to link your LinkedIn profiles in the description so people can can easily find you. But um, again, really appreciate the time. It was great to meet you both today. And uh, I'm excited because now we're connected and uh, I'm going to be bothering you so much more. And I'm looking forward to that. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank all right. You we'll so see you all much. soon. Bye.
Hey everybody, Jay here. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You know, this started as a labor of love for Jeff and I a couple of years ago, and it's really turned into a movement around customer success and community, and we couldn't be more thrilled to be a part of it. Um, we grow this by word of mouth, so we'd, we'd love it if you're willing and you find value in what you hear on this podcast. Leave us a rating or a review on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It'll help us grow and, and provide value to more customer success professionals. Also, if you haven't yet, please sign up for Gain, Grow, Retain, the online community. It's gaingrowretain.com. You can meet other people, make one-on-one connections, share ideas, get ideas, grow your career ultimately. Um, be on the lookout also for live events, both in person and virtual this year. We're excited to get back to that. And thanks for being part of the community. We look forward to talking to you soon.